It's my privilege now to ask you to take your Bibles, and we're going to begin a new series today through a small little book in the Old Testament called Jonah. So look somewhere in the middle of your Bible, and you'll see a bunch of what are referred to as the minor prophets, and you can identify Jonah. And we'll begin this morning by looking at the first six verses of this wonderful, packed full book. I think before we read the scriptures together, I think it would be appropriate. This has been such an eventful week in the life of our country to just offer a few words of commentary to that. How ought we to be thinking about the events of Wednesday and the election on Tuesday? As you know, there was a rally there in Washington, D.C., kind of led by our president, President Trump, and the events of that kind of boiled over, spilled over into some rioters that entered the the nation's capital and did some destruction there. I don't know of anyone that would say that was a good move. I think we would all say that that was a, a disgraceful thing that took place. And as a country, we grieve that, that that took place. And it's another reminder of our need for prayer. On Tuesday, in the state of Georgia, was a special election that was very pivotal because there were two senators there that would be elected. And if they both went a certain way to the progressive or to the Democrats, then that would give President-elect Joe Biden not only power over the White House, but over the House of Representatives, as well as the Senate. And that's exactly what happened. And so, as a country, we are in for some changes, unless God intercedes. And so, we would anticipate over the next hundred days, over the next two years, over the next four years, if... Joe Biden honors and makes good on his campaign promises that this will be a threat to religious liberty and and unborn life and gender and marriage and family as, as we see and read what the scriptures have to say. So what do we do about that as a church family? I'm speaking now to those of you who are here at Highland Crest And I would say, as things are sure to change around us, as a pastor, we will continue to preach verse-by-verse exposition, encouraging you to read, memorize, and meditate on the Word of God, because it is there where God reveals Himself. In addition to that, we will continue to look at boys and girls, men and women, as made in the image of God, And not only will we love God, but we will also love our neighbor as ourself. And we will encourage you to do that here in our church, in Bible studies that meet at 9 o'clock, as well as meet in people's homes. That hasn't changed as well. We will honor our government. We will pray for our leaders, as we have over these last four years. We will pray that they will lead in accordance with the Scriptures And if they make laws and lead in contradiction to the Scriptures, we will do what the Bible tells us to do, and that is obey God. In addition to this, 
something else that has not changed is there's one hope that the city of Green Bay has, the state of Wisconsin has, the United States of America has, and the world has, and that is Jesus Christ. And we will continue to encourage you to go out and share this gospel message of his death and resurrection and the hope that that brings. And with God's help, we will do that in humility, with a with repentance as God reveals sin. So yes, there may be some changes around us, but our cause and our commission has not changed to continue to proclaim the gospel, to continue to live by the scriptures, and to encourage others to do that. Let's take some time and pray for our country, shall we? Lord, as we... uh, pause right now. We don't do so hunkered down in a shelter. Rather, we come to be equipped to be able to go back out into the marketplace of life. And around us, many of us are concerned. As we consider history and the dynasties and the empires from long ago, that one by one caved in from the inside, our concern is that could be America too. And so we, we pray for your help. First, may it begin in our own hearts, thinking individually this morning, God, do a work in my heart. Change me. Help me to be more like Christ. Help me to lead my family in the way of the Scriptures. Help us to have a biblical worldview that we're turning out here at Highland Crest. And then we pray for our leaders here at a local level, state level, and a federal level, that they would experience your guidance for them to know the truth, and they would have the courage to follow that. Lord, we are in need of a revival, and may it begin here in me. May it begin in our families. May it begin in our church, and may it sweep across this country and around this world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, now for your second sermon today. (laughs) Uh, Why don't we look at Jonah chapter 1, and we'll look at the first six verses together. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. As we look at these six verses this morning, I have a little outline for you on the back of your bulletin that I think is is pretty clear and straightforward. 
The first point that we see here is that Jonah was a man of God that loved his country. As we look here at chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jonah, what is, what is identified as a prophet. That is, he is a preacher. And this phrase, the word of the Lord came, is one that we will see frequently throughout the scriptures. In fact, over a hundred times. The responsibility of a prophet was to hear the word of God and to deliver it and obey whatever God would have them to do. Amos chapter 3 verse 7 says, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. Now in the scriptures, there are four major prophets and twelve minor prophets. Now what makes them major and what makes them minor? Is it in their significance? No, it is in their size. So the major prophets of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel are all large books, so they're identified as major. But then there are 12 prophets that have smaller books, still the word of God, but they're identified as minor prophets, and Jonah is one of those. He ministered between 782 and 753 B.C., about 50 to 100 years after Elijah and Elisha. And if you know your biblical history, this is a period of time in which God did some amazing miracles. Do you remember Elijah? There was a time where he was downcast and discouraged and he was hungry. And God had some ravens bring meat and bread to fill his belly. And God, again, in the book of Jonah, will use another animal to carry out his agenda. This is not the only time we read of Jonah in the scriptures. Lest you think that this is some sort of book of allegory, that it was not to be taken literally, we see that he prophesied during the time of Jeroboam II. Why don't you just keep your finger here in Jonah for a moment and turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 14. Because we will see here that Jonah served alongside the reign of Jeroboam II and that he indeed was a literal historical figure. And by the way, Jesus quoted the story of Jonah as well. I'm in 2 Kings, beginning chapter 14. I'm going to read verses 23, 24, and 25. It says, in the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria and reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, which he made Israel to sin. So here's the king of which Jonah ruled under, Jeroboam the second, and you will notice that he did not discard all the sins of his father, whether he still participated in some of those sins. Look with me at verse 25. He, God restored the border of Israel from Labo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet 
who was Goth Heifer. And here's the point, that Jonah was a real person and that he offered a ministry during the time, maybe 50 to 100 years after Elijah and Elisha. And from that passage there in 2 Kings chapter 14, I think we can conclude a few things. One, that Jonah knew that God was merciful. Why do I say that? Because Jeroboam was not a good king. He did not honor God, but God still had favor on him by allowing the border of Israel to be extended. He might have also concluded that God has a special place in his heart for the nation of Israel. He really loves us. And we will see this play out a little bit further in the book of Jonah. We might call him the patriotic prophet. Here's the second thing I think we see in this passage, is that God's word was clear. And so was Jonah's defiance. Look with me here at verse 2. This is all uh, Jonah is asked by God to do. Arise. Evidently, he was seated. Arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Now, that seems like such a simple request. All I want you to do, Jonah, is to leave where you're at and go to this city that is not of the Israelites and go and and speak out and call them to repentance. But you have to understand that this was unprecedented. Now, there were prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Amos that, that spoke out against pagan cities, but God had never asked them to actually go there and to preach. You know, I, I'm just being honest with you. It's quite comfortable to hide behind this pulpit on a Sunday morning in a climate-controlled room. And I can get really bold here. I mean, I could call out against the false religion of Islam, and if I use the right inflections and the right enthusiasm, I might even get a smattering of amens. And if I work really hard at it, I might even get an applause. But if God were to say to you and me, this is what I want you to do, is arise and go to Baghdad, Iraq, and find the largest mosque there. And I want you to go in on a call of prayer and say, excuse me, may I have your attention? My name is Chad. I'm from America. And I'm here to tell you that your prophet Muhammad is a false prophet. And your scriptures, the Quran, are a book of lies. And I'm just here to declare to you that you are on your way to hell. And the only way possible to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Have a wonderful day. Peace. <laughs> Do you see that that is an entirely different ask? And that is what's being asked of Jonah. You know, maybe I ought to tell you a little bit about these Ninevites, these people there that were a part of the Assyrian Empire. One pastor named Tim Keller wrote about them. And let me give you a few descriptions so you can kind of understand the the turmoil that Jonah is going through. Assyria, that's where Nineveh is. This is in northern Iraq, modern-day Iraq, just outside a city called Mosul. It was discovered by some French explorers in the 19th century and dug up more in the 1960s and 70s. Assyria is one of the cruelest and most violent empires of ancient times. 
They had an emperor around the same time as Jonah named Shalmazur III. And he was known for detailing his acts of cruelty on slabs of rock. So if you were captured by the Assyrians, it was not unusual for them to cut your legs off and cut an arm off. And while you were dying, they would shake your hand and say, that was a good war. That was a good war. It was just a way of rubbing your nose in your loss. They would also force family and, and friends of people that had died, they'd, they'd cut the heads off of these people and they would force the friends and family members to take that head on a big pole and to walk around with it. They would pull out prisoners' tongues and stretch their bodies with ropes so that they could be flayed alive and their skins displayed on city walls. And if you are a teenager, how many teenagers we have here this morning? They'd burn you alive. That's what these Assyrians did. And if you were fortunate enough to actually be kept alive and be a slave, they would offer all sorts of violent cruelty to you. The Syrians have been called a terrorist state. And this is where God has asked the preacher to go and proclaim a message of repentance. Maybe to give you a parallel, it's 1941, and you are a Jewish rabbi, and you have been sent to Berlin to proclaim a message of repentance to the Nazis. Can you feel that? This is what God is asking Jonah to do. It's a very clear cut. Go there and preach a message of repentance. Yet he doesn't do that. And we see here in verse 3, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Translation, Jonah went in the exact opposite direction. God's word to him was crystal clear. Go, go and proclaim this message to the Ninevites. Jonah's response is to do the exact opposite, to go in the exact opposite direction. And let's just pause here and ask ourselves, what is behind, what is behind this call? And don't miss this, loved ones. This is a shattering truth, that God loved the evil people of that city in Nineveh so much that he wanted to send someone to proclaim the message to them. And if he loved that city so much, would he not love this city that much as well? Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And I would offer a word of warning for you, loved ones, here today. You might have had seasons where you had close fellowship with God, time where God used you just like he had done Jonah. And you could read this and look down upon Jonah and say, I'm so glad something like that could never happen to me. But there's a place there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 as Paul is asking the readers there in the church of Corinth to remember all the characters of the Old Testament. And he said to them, let everyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. It is the grace of God that keeps us. It is the grace of God that sustains us. 
And if it could happen to Jonah, it certainly could happen to you as well. And you'll notice in a couple of different places here, it says in verse 3, he went down to Joppa, pardon me, verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And we'll also say that again in verse 4, pardon me, in the next part of verse 3. So he paid the fear and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Two different times what he was attempting to do was escape God's presence. Now this is a preacher. Do you think he knew better than that? Do you think he knew Psalm 139? Let me just read some of that to you. If you've got your Bible in front of you, look at Psalm 139 with me. Because it speaks to God's omnipresence. Verse 1 says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up and discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The point is, we cannot escape God's presence. Let's be clear. What God was asking Jonah to do was to go to a city and to proclaim a message. And I'm, I'm, I'm before a lot of people that know their scriptures quite well here this morning. Can you think of any other place in the scriptures where God called someone else to go? You remember Jesus' ministry as he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, he gathered his disciples together, and his parting words to them were to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he commands. And he said, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So friends, listen to me, please. Before you get hard on Jonah, Remember, you and I have received the same instructions to go. So what, do we, what does he do with this? Here's the third point, and that's God's love is demonstrated in his discipline of Jonah. Will God allow Jonah's defense to go unchecked? Well, let's look at verse 4. But the Lord, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Who was it that caused this storm? You see it there in verse 4. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. He would not allow this disobedience to go unchecked. Verse 5 says, Then the mariners, those are the sailors, they were afraid, and each cried out to his God. These were seasoned sailors. And as they are in the ship, they were used to storms. They were used to high winds. But if you are ever in a ship and you see some of these seasoned sailors get afraid, then you should get afraid. 
Because they know when there is a a legitimate threat. And you will notice what these pagan sailors do. They actually call for a prayer meeting. And so they're calling out to their own gods. Wondering. Wondering if they're gods. And where was Jonah? The last part of verse 5 says, But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and there he laid down and had fast asleep. He was asleep when there was a prayer meeting going on, prayer to false gods. Verse 6 says, So the captain came and said to them, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, go out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Jonah had been given one clear opportunity in the very first couple of verses of the book of Jonah. Go, arise, go to Nineveh and and preach to this great city. Call them to repentance. And he flees. He goes in a ship and he goes in the opposite direction. And while he's in that ship, he is given a second great opportunity. There's a storm and there's people calling out to their gods for prayer. And he is asleep. And the ship's captain comes down to him. And I remind you that this was the time of Elijah and Elisha. Can you think of another time where there was a battle of these gods? They're at Mount Carmel. When Elijah was there around 450 prophets of Baal. And there they had this great competition. Let's declare today who is the true God to worship. And it was there where he competed with all these false prophets and God revealed that he is the one true God. Jonah was given an opportunity to do just that, to come up and pray. And he could have prayed, peace be still. And that storm would have settled. But he's sleeping. He doesn't want anything to do with this commission that is in his life. Well, one of the challenges of working through a book of the Bible is I have to leave you there. What happens? Come back next week and we'll pick it up there in verse 7. In the meantime, let me give you three applications to this text. Here's a point, even before I get to the first one. God loves us so much that he will bring discipline, will he not? It says there in Hebrews 12, verse 6, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. William L. Banks, this I think is a really helpful quote. He said, Rebellion never escapes God's notice. And it is foolish for men to think that they can resist God's will with impunity. The Lord may let a man go to a certain point before he steps in, but when he does move, he moves with uncertainty. And I just remind you, why is God bringing discipline? Because he is refusing to go to share the message of repentance. God loves the people in that city so much that he will not allow one of his own to remain silent. He will not allow him to sleep He will bring correction in order that he would go out and proclaim this message. And is anyone seeing a parallel for us today? You might say, well, Chad, I've been out on the bay and I've faced some storms, but I've never, I don't think I'm going to face this because I don't even like the water. Well, he can bring storms in your life as well. 
He can bring a storm to your finances, a storm to your workplace, a storm to your grades, a storm to your scholarships, a storm to your health. Chad, are you saying that if we're not out proclaiming this message that he could discipline us? That certainly is the case here in Jonah, and I don't think there's any way around it. And if he would do it then, why wouldn't he do it now? I love to preach about God's grace, and by the end of this message, we will get to that grace. But I think there's a time here for us to let the fear of God settle in for us. He had a simple thing to do. Go out, proclaim this message. And he wouldn't do it. So here's our application. First is this. Does your concern for the souls of others need to be awakened? When it came time for Jonah to proclaim the message to the sailors and to the captain, what was he doing? He was sleeping. I don't think it's much of a stretch to say that we can be asleep as well, not physically, but spiritually. And we can be unbothered, unharmed by the souls of all of those. You know what Jonah was saying? He was saying, I don't care about that city. I don't care if they go to hell. I want to stay right where I'm at and what I'm doing. Maybe you're like me this morning. You say, I, I need to be awakened. This, this, this is not so much about Jonah. This is, this is about me. Can you identify with Jonah's disobedience? I got good news for you today that there is one that is the opposite of Jonah. And his name is Jesus. Whereas Jonah was sent on a mission to say, I want you to leave the comforts here of your home and and go to a city of people that do not deserve grace and mercy, but I want you to go proclaim it to them. Jonah said no, but there was one who said yes. When God said to his son, Jesus, Jesus, I want you to go to a world of people that do not deserve to hear this message. And you go to them. And Jesus said, yes. When Jonah was threatened by the idea of going to some people there in Nineveh, afraid that he would be harassed and potentially misharmed or had physical injury, he said, I will not go. But when God said to his son, Jesus, I want you to go. And when you go, they will not only harass you, they will not only physically mistreat you, they will kill you and put you on a cross. Jesus said, I will go. And when Jonah was there sleeping in the storm, asleep, a stupor that was brought on by his rebellious defiance, there was another that slept in the storm. But it was not out of defiance. Rather, it was in resting in God and carrying out his plan. You may feel convicted, you may feel condemned today, but there is one that offers forgiveness to you. It was the one that followed through with the mission, and his name is Jesus. And it's through the cross and through his resurrection that grace is extended to you. But it's not just that we can receive this and then just kind of go back to the way we were, but there's a transforming grace that he wants to give to us, that we would be awakened and be bothered by those around us that are on their way to hell. Could it be that we could paraphrase this this morning and say, Arise, go to Green Bay, 
Go to Pulaski. Go to De Pere, that great city, and call out against it. There's a second application I think we see here, and that is the pray for opportunities to share the gospel. As God is doing this work in our heart and we are now awakened and we are seeing people the way that God sees them, now we ought to pray, God, would you grant me opportunities today to be able to share this message with others? I think of times in my life where I have been disciplined early in the morning to pray, God, today, give me an opportunity. Please, I want to be able to share the truth. He has consistently answered that prayer. And I find that I'm poised and I'm looking for opportunities. There are times where I've prayed that prayer and there's been the phone ring here at church and Miss Ginger will say, hey, there's someone going through a crisis. They're not at all connected to our church, but they're wondering if they can come by and talk to you. I'm like, that is exactly what I've been praying for. Could I, could I have an opportunity to share with them how Jesus can change their life? If Paul prayed, asked for people to pray for him, how much more you and I need it? In Ephesians 6, he told the church there in Ephesus, pray also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains and I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Even Paul said, I want to proclaim this. Help me, help me to have boldness. Help me not to shrink back when God gives me an opportunity. In Colossians 4, He asked again for prayer. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which I ought to speak. God, would you open a door for me today to share the gospel? And when I share it, may it be clear? We ought to pray for opportunities to share the gospel. And then number three, share the gospel. Can I give you some homework? Sometime tomorrow, you're going to return to your workplaces. It's going to be either tomorrow morning or sometime tomorrow afternoon. And the same conversation is going to take place that takes place every Monday. How was your weekend? Can I give you an answer? I had a wonderful weekend. I got to spend some time around the house getting some things done. I was able to get some time with my family. But when I went to church... I got to hear about how God was so concerned with this city of Nineveh that was made up of a bunch of sinners that he sent a Christian, a follower of God, to proclaim that message to them. And he was unwilling to do it. And I was convicted. Because there's been times where I've been unwilling to do that. And I've asked God for an opportunity to share a message today, this week. And if you would give me an opportunity, I'd love just to share with you what God has done in my life. Could you take that homework? And when that opportunity comes to do just that, maybe you're not really confident in sharing the gospel. Well, when you came in today, there's a table back here and there's a table back there that is loaded with gospel tracts. And and some of those are written by people like Billy Graham. Some of those, here's one by written by Randy Alcorn, one of my favorite authors. And some of you really like Paul Washer. So he doesn't have a small little gospel track. He's got a little book here uh, called The Gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and maybe you could take something like this and say, would you be willing to be able to read this with me? And I'd walk, walk with you through this. 
as we look at this, I think we have an opportunity just to apply this today. So what I would like today, instead of the music team to come up, maybe Miss Vanna, you could come and you could play for us. And I think we're just going to be reflecting on this message with a familiar chorus called Change My Heart. And that's what I'd like you to pray. If, if, if that's not you and you're like, God has already done this work and I've got a hot heart to be able to share the gospel with others, I rejoice in his work in your heart. But I suspect I'm not alone here. And, and I want to have this heart. I want to have an awakened heart to the lostness around me. So I just want to have a little prayer meeting. I'm not going to get um, strange with you. Just right, in, right where you're at in your seat. Why don't you take some time and pray through this message. And if God needs to do a change in your heart, ask him to do that. And then, Scott, we'll have a, a time where maybe just you will come up and sing that chorus, lead us in that chorus. Our fathers, we as we think about this great city of Nineveh, we don't have to think too hard to ask ourselves, is there a great city around us? It could be that there are people in this room that you have called to leave their home and to go to another city, another country, and to proclaim this message. Maybe it's family members that they have yet to do that, and and that is the application for them today. And I pray that you would give them the grace and courage to do that. And then for many of us, it's like, wow, we, we live here in this great city. And if you called Jonah to Nineveh, then you've called us to our community as well. And instead of just being overwhelmed by the hundreds of thousands of people that are around here, what about our own little circles? And I pray my own heart now, help me to see them, my neighbors, the people I come into contact with as, as souls that are going either to heaven or to hell. And now give me the the boldness that Paul prayed for, the opportunity, the open door, and and the clarity to be able to share the gospel and then leave the results up to you. And may this not be just a a weak event, just, just these next seven days, but may there be a change in our life that this is a this is a lifestyle for us. May we cultivate that heart for people that are not yet Christians. In Jesus' name, amen.